Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Tracy Murda on behalf of Richard Jacobs here at Future Tech Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest from TLIT.com, Elise Peterson. Elise, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So why don't we get started with telling me a little bit about TLIT.com? Okay, TLIT is an online B2B marketplace for tea farmers. So we allow tea growers from around the world to create profiles, list their teas, and then we handle all of the logistics, payments, uh, regulatory compliance, uh, and fulfillment of um, connecting them with uh, buyers, uh, wholesale buyers around the world for, for the most part, premium artisanal teas. And what sort of gave you the idea to start this company and, and how long have you been in business? Yeah, so I started the company in May of 2012. So it's been a little over five years. And uh, before before that, I was working with tea farmers uh, through a nonprofit that I had helped found called the International Tea Farms Alliance. You know, pr- Prior to getting involved in the tech world and doing this uh, company, uh, I, I was a food scientist and also an international development worker. So, you know, I worked through first the Peace Corps. I lived in Niger, West Africa for a few years working with rural farmers and also in the Caribbean. Uh, but it was uh, 2011. I was part of an MBA program at the uh, University of Hawaii, where I was living, and uh, was hired by the a state of Hawaii to do a market feasibility study for Hawaii-grown tea. So this was the first role I took on working with tea growers. But prior to that, I had plenty of experience working in the food industry, working uh, with rural farmers. And really, to be honest, I had noticed and and had a really uh, great passion, which I still have now, for uh, fixing our food systems. You know, I I got involved in the food industry as a food scientist because I just, I loved cooking food for people. I I just found so much great joy in providing, you know, sustenance for people and seeing the happiness they got uh, from eating a good meal. And so, you know, I got in the food industry so I could do that on a mass scale and quickly learned that um, 
it wasn't work that I could do um, ethically and consciously. Uh, a lot of my work involved um, putting preservatives into things, and you know there was just there was just a lot of bad decisions that were made in how the food was being made, even if it was labeled organic and fair trade. I just couldn't find um, things that were pure. You know, the the motivations of the food industry are always so driven by uh, sales and profit margins and marketing rather than the core of why food even, you know, our relationship with food, which is to provide us sustenance. So um, I uh, started working with the tea growers uh, with this this passion and, um, you know, my Peace Corps experience had really opened me up and opened up my eyes to what that solution would be, uh, that I didn't have to run away from my role in the food industry, but instead tried to bring some consciousness uh, to the, the main problem that I saw, which is in our supply chain and the disconnection between the producer and the consumer. I really felt like that was a very big reason of why our food systems in the Western world you know, had kind of spiraled to what it is now where it's just processed food where people don't even really care what they're putting into their body. And uh, so, you know, all of this kind of culminated when I started working with uh, tea farmers in Hawaii. And then uh, I I worked with tea farmers in Japan. I lived there for uh, six months and um, just realized that uh, that was my calling is, is trying to rebuild that bridge between the producer and the consumer and uh, tea uh, really just I just had a, a good intuition that that would be a commodity that that could be used as an example in this and and hopefully uh, to inspire that bridge to be reformed in all of our agricultural commodities um, and and in an effect healing our food systems uh, especially in the western world which ultimately will positively affect the food system in the developing world where, you know, for the most part, agriculture is being exploited uh, for for our benefit of, um, you know, lower price, efficient, um, delicious food. Um, so, you know, I started working on this nonprofit in Japan when I was working with the tea farmers there. And our whole goal was just to create a, a bridge between tea growers and tea lovers. Um, it was a nonprofit. We started out with some initial grant money from the Japanese government, which uh, allowed us to host an event in Japan where we invited independent tea growers from around the world uh, to come to this small tea growing village in Japan and uh, host an event where everybody shared their tea. And what we found when the farmers from Taiwan and China and Korea, you know, came here and shared their tea, it enlivened the pride of, you know, the local people in the village of this tea growing village of Japan for their own tea and also increased their interest in teas from other places. So, you know, I got really excited and motivated that that would be the way um, to, uh, you know, promote tea and tea coming from, you know, ethical and sustainable sources, essentially just families rather than factories. And, um, you know, I, I just I just knew that was my calling and I, I needed to do something related to this work. But the nonprofit um, 
didn't have any type of revenue source or motivation to keep moving. So uh, what um, you know, some of the farmers that I was working with had mentioned was that if I wanted to continue this mission, the, the best way I could serve them was if I returned to the States and started a business where I could import their tea and essentially be the commerce arm of this nonprofit or the for-profit partner of the nonprofit uh, and actually helping them with their business. Because, um, you know, before I started TLET for an uh, independent tea grower in a rural part of the world, their only option for getting their tea into the international market is to either sell their tea at local auctions or to local middlemen, uh, which uh, are then, you know, pumping the tea into that conventional food system that I mentioned earlier um, that, you know, I always just kind of generalize uh, the Walmart model. You know, the Walmart model has educated the consumer to expect lower prices, you know, and, um, you know, that translates beyond just Walmart to, you know, most of our consumer retail uh, that that people should expect the lowest price. And so, you know, what that has done over the decades has pushed, you know, the price that these farmers get at local markets and from their local middlemen lower and lower and lower, really to a point now where a lot of producers of tea are selling their tea at a loss just in order to to, to keep production rolling, meaning the cost of production is higher than the market price that they get. So, you know, they, they really didn't have an option. And, you know, setting up their own e-commerce website, you know, some of the growers I work with, they have done that. Even before I started Tealet, they, you know, had a tech-savvy nephew in the family or something like that where they would set up a website and start doing their own marketing and their own e-commerce uh, so that it was available. but than the marketing and, uh, you know, just getting the buyers to trust the website and to deal with the website. And then, of course, the logistics, too. If, if they're to, to ship tea directly from their country of origin into the States or to Europe or South America, uh, the logistics are very inefficient, you know, as far as shipping and, and then some mm-hmm. regulatory compliance things. So, um you know, TLET was kind of started as uh, this uh, tool, a marketplace uh, that would be an all-in-one package to handle all of these issues for the growers. So they can just focus on their production and their quality control while, you know, TLET handles all of the marketing, the payments, the logistics. And um, it's really cool to see where, where this has gone, considering that prior to starting TLET, I had zero experience with technology or, you know, startup business or entrepreneurship, but it's really amazing how much of the tech community has come forward and and helped me with this effort. And, you know, I know that it really does help that I have tea, I have good tea and, uh, you know, there is a a great overlap between, you know, the consumers of high quality tea and the tech world. So I've been very fortunate uh, to make friends and, and business partnerships with, Uh, very intelligent people that have helped me, you know, really elevate uh, the way that these rural tea farmers do business around the world. Tell me a little bit about 
more about the the tech side of things and when it was that you became involved in in offering cryptos or Bitcoin services through tlet.com. So the, the technology is, uh, we have a custom built platform. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, fully automated from the marketplace point of view. Um, you know, farmers list their teas. They're able to set the prices that they want to sell the teas at. And then, um, you know, there's marketing collateral that's included with that. And for the most part, I collect that. So I visit all of the farms every year. Uh, to take the photos and the videos, and when we do have a really big focus on media, uh, creating educational videos, marketing videos around how the tea is being made, and then the the buyers can purchase, you know, teas. Uh, we break the the bulk shipments from the growers down into smaller increments, and then um, the buyer can go onto the website. Uh, they do have to have a verified wholesale account in order to see the marketplace and, and to make purchases. Um, we launched Bitcoin payments in October of 2013. So it was like a year and a half after launching. And at that point, uh, the wholesale part of our business was still developing. Um, you know, I had first launched, I literally launched this company a week, actually I should say days after I got back to the States because I went to a startup weekend wow. event and that's what just kickstarted it. Like uh, I didn't even like really expect this to, to go so full speed. I thought it would be a side project, but you know, I got really swept into the tech community very early on the first weekend I was back and um, I needed to, to start some type of revenue generation. You know, there was some VC venture capitalists that were, at um, the startup weekend that I was at, and they really liked the pitch. You know, they thought it was very exciting, and they told me that they would want to invest, but I needed to prove to them some sales, some something. You know, so mm -hmm. I a retail a, a retail subscription box, actually like a tea of the month type of thing, and that's what had initially got got us rolling and. Um, you know, into October of 2013 when we launched Bitcoin payments, I'll be honest, uh, our sales were really struggling. And, um, you know, we had already taken some venture capital money and we were part of uh, a tech accelerator. Uh, and, you know, I was just feeling kind of hopeless that we weren't going to get the growth that, you know, was expected of us. Uh, you know, we had some small scale sales. It was very um specialized you know people that found us on the internet you know they they knew about it and it wasn't very many people it was really hard for us to drive traffic to the site and just convert that into sales um but uh you know the developer that I was working with uh, he he from day 1 from when I first met him he was an enthusiast for for bitcoin uh and you know he was always kind of bothering me that we need to have Bitcoin on the website. We need to have it. And I didn't think it was a priority. Uh, but then, uh, you know, we got to this point where it was kind of the end of the road, you know, I was kind of, uh, I was actually about to let him go um, because uh, we were over engineering the website rather than, you know, focusing on the sales itself. And uh, so, you know, the last few weeks that he was uh, at the company uh, full time, I allowed him to do whatever he wanted basically. And 
first thing he wanted to do was Bitcoin payments. And so he, uh, through Coinbase, uh, had put on um, the option of paying with Bitcoin. And I, you know, I it's unbelievable. Our sales like quadrupled immediately. Really? And first two months of launching, about 85% of our sales were through Bitcoin. And that was just because now when I would go do marketing and, you know, lead traffic to the website, our conversions were so much higher. Like, I think our conversions were up to 20% when we were doing Bitcoin-specific marketing, you know, versus normal marketing, you know, Facebook, Instagram, wherever on the internet I was driving traffic to the website. Our conversions was almost zero. No one was buying as they came to the website. But with Bitcoin, you know, I think it was a combination of uh, the Bitcoin community just wanting to support merchants that, you know, were being proactive and supporting the community. And then also, like I said earlier, there's an overlap between, you know, the the connoisseur tea market and the tech world and Bitcoin world. So, you know, all these these Bitcoin, uh, you know, community members, when they heard about us and visited our website, uh, they saw the quality of the tea and you know, bought and we were selling all over the world, not just in the U.S., but all over. And uh, we also participated in the Bitcoin Black Friday of 2013, which was, you know, a very exciting day for for our company uh, because we did a great amount of sales that day. But, you know, that was also a great day for the Bitcoin community because it it helped Um, or, you know, no one knows if it directly helped, but it was around the same time that there was that first big spike in price where it, you know, went up to $1,200. Um, it was a really exciting time to be a part of the Bitcoin movement and, uh, you know, just becoming one of the first major merchants to accept Bitcoin really opened us up to the community. And I started going to Bitcoin conferences and Bitcoin events and meetups and, getting networked into the community, uh, which, you know, some people would say I have no business doing that because I am just a tea company. But I'm a tea company that's trying to bring efficiency and change to the global tea industry. And I really feel like technology is the best way to do that. And, um, you know, I actually was interested in Bitcoin even before I started to, uh, I think, uh, Early 2010 was when I first heard about Bitcoin and, you know, watched that introductory video and started researching, you know, what was going on in the forums. And I was really excited about that because, like I said, my passion right now is creating that bridge between the producer and the consumer. And when I heard about, you know, the whole peer-to-peer and um, information, you know, cleanly and efficiently being transferred from one person to another person made me very excited. And, you know, there is some kind of harmony and overlap there. So um, now, you know, being a part of the Bitcoin community and going to hackathons and kind of being on the edge of what's going on, we have been able to integrate Bitcoin into other elements of our business, which have now become much more important to the business than just accepting it for payments. But now we, um, we're using Bitcoin for transferring. Anytime I move money across any border, I'm using Bitcoin to do it because, um, you know, PayPal, the banks, like they're all taking massive cuts. Mm-hmm. Like 
usage before I started using Bitcoin, I would keep track. You know, I knew how much money was withdrawn from my bank account. And when I would send it to India or to Japan to a farmer for their tea, I would ask them to tell me how much money made it into their account and then do the math on what was Mm -hmm. lost. And on average, it was 12%. Wow. Ridiculous. Man, isn't that crazy? And these are like poor rural farmers that are just, you know, they're already disadvantaged. And then, you know, my company is trying to help them. I send them the money and, you know, someone else is there to take their cut. And, uh, yeah, I became, you know, really upset about that. And it was a priority for us to find some solutions to bring that down. And, you know, now with all of the great startups, you know, that have come up, you know, using blockchain technology and, and, and various cryptocurrencies to find those efficiencies, uh, I've been able to get that fee down to 2%, which is, is pretty world-changing. Um, yeah. This type of business going on. So at least overall, would you say, I mean, your clientele that was purchasing the the tea in general has just been completely transformed once you opened up to selling and using, excuse me, using Bitcoin for the transactions? Um, you know, from the buyer perspective, like the buyer side of the marketplace, mm-hmm. um, there really hasn't been any change. Like, uh, well, you know, I, I, I take that back, you know, because one of the services that we use does allow us to invoice uh, people and mm-hmm. they connect their bank account to the service and they will withdraw, convert into Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency is the most efficient for the transaction and then move the money to me and then it gets converted to U.S. dollar and into my bank account. Um, but uh, I've only had one wholesale buyer that has used Bitcoin for purchasing their tea. Um, and, you know, that was just another forward-thinking tea retailer that accepts Bitcoin in their tea shop or on their online tea store. And, you know, they had collected some Bitcoin from their sales and wanted to use, you know, that Bitcoin for buying the tea. But, you know, for the most part for business right now, it's really difficult for a business to justify uh, carrying Bitcoin. Um, You know, I know there's a lot of excitement about, you know, potentially getting some gains from the, you know, the value of it going up. Um, And, you know, it's, you know, a really great business model to do that, you know, to to get involved in in, and getting those gains. But for a typical, you know, small to medium-sized business, uh, you know, when it comes to the accounting, it gets, you know, really hairy. And so a lot of people uh, don't want to be carrying Bitcoin. And so we're not encouraging our buyers or even the growers uh, to hold on. We do, for the most part, uh, transfer everything into fiat currencies before, you know, it gets into their bank account. But everything is done so quickly that there's not any type of currency exchange rate difference. Uh, So there is no gain or loss. Uh, which is good because God forbid there's a loss and everybody would lose their trust in Bitcoin. But, um, you know, I'm really trying to focus on Bitcoin more as a technology tool to bring more efficiency and transparency to how things are done rather than just seeing it as like an investment tool. Um, you know, it's exciting as an investment tool. And I know lots of people are, are very happy with it as an investment tool right now. But, um, you know, I think there's so much more potential for it as a technology and 
you know, now what we're looking towards next is um, the authentication of the teas that we work with. So there are, you know, some origins that we work with where the tea is very competitive, very high quality, and there's a lot of counterfeiting going on, you know, especially some of these regions in China, the counterfeiting is just rampant. Like majority of the tea on the market is counterfeit. And we want to bring uh, more transparency and trust uh, to the market for those types of products. And, you know, right now there's really not a whole lot of, of options how to do it. And um, I'm really excited to see, you know, some of the applications uh, using blockchain to do this and, I know I've met so many people that are working on it, uh, you know, not just for tea, but for, you know, agriculture in general, just trying to bring more uh, transparency to the supply chain of food, uh, which is actually going to become required uh, by the U.S. government. The FDA has been uh, being more focused on traceability of the food systems and going to make it mandatory, regulated, that there's full traceability of all the food ingredients that you work with from the factory uh, to even the farm and the soil. And, you know, I really think that uh, TLET and, and, you know, kind of the work that I'm doing is going to be very well equipped to help smaller companies handle these types of compliance issues. You know, a large company like Kraft is going to have no problem because, you know, they're their food systems are so mass scale and they have, you know, such economies of scale that, you know, and, and really, to be honest, the small businesses in the food industry really feel like these new regulations by the FDA were written by companies like Kraft to protect them because they have no pro- problem being compliant. But, you know, a small mom and pop business uh, is going to have a lot of difficulty with the documentation and you know, especially if they're importing ingredients from out of the United States, is going to be almost impossible to provide traceability. Um, but, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of exciting things happening with technology and the blockchain uh, to help assist with this traceability, um, you know, and authenticity of agriculture products. So, I guess just sort of in conclusion to what advice would you give to other business owners, small or large, who aren't yet accepting or working with Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies or the blockchain? Um, you know, what, what were sort of your, your ebbs and your flows? What were the, the good times, the, the easy stuff? What was sort of the challenges that you faced when you started opening this, this new world up to your business? Uh, I mean, I guess the the greatest challenge that we faced when we first launched with, uh, you know, the payments option on the website, uh, we had like a huge spike in sales. And then after about three months or so, it just went away, you know. And so this is the case with any business. If you do something that gets you great growth, you can't rely on it to always be that way. You know, you always have to be looking for a new hack or looking for a new opportunity to, you know, keep your your revenue growth stabilized. So, um, you know, that was a little bit unnerving, you know, to have such big support when we first launched and then it just kind of went away. And I think, you know, some of the novelty had worn away and, 
you know, really the people that did make their purchases had purely done it as a support of what was going on rather than, you know, becoming a loyal customer of ours. So that was, um, that was, you know, one of the biggest challenges and, um, yeah, I was like exerting a lot of energy into the marketing and, you know, when the sales started to drop, um, it just got kind of exhausting, uh, still doing the same amount of marketing and then the conversions and, and all of that started to drop down. So, um, but you know, the benefits have just been great and, you know, really I have no other, um, you know, problems to say, uh, it's, it's been all very secure. Uh, we've, we've been using Coinbase and, and that's been pretty uh, user friendly for us. Um, you know, into implementing it on the website was very easy. The technology was not difficult with the coding of it. Um, you know, shortly after we started to accept Bitcoin, uh, we decided to accept Litecoin as well, because, you know, I, I actually was good friends from my MBA program with one of the the lead developers of Litecoin. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of turned me on to Litecoin when he heard I was accepting Bitcoin. He was like, well, why don't you do Litecoin too? And I said, well, I don't even know what Litecoin is. (laughs) So he kind of introduced me to that. And I'm grateful for that because that's really broadened my horizon about what cryptocurrency and the future cryptocurrency is. It's not just Bitcoin, but it's it's something much more than that. Um, And so, you know, he had all these ideas of like introducing my company to the Litecoin community and, you know, how that would increase sales, which it did. Uh, But there was not a payment processor available at that time. So we had to build our own. Uh, So the programmer that I was working with, he was, you know, very excited about working on that project because it was some legitimate coding for him. Uh, But yeah, we built, you know, the, the world's first Litecoin payment processor, um, you know, now it's obsolete because, you know, you can just turn it on with uh, Coinbase now. But um, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. A tea company built built that, <laughs> um, you know, that that was probably the most difficult thing technologically that we've had to do. But there's just so many great companies out there for a small business that is not, you know, extremely tech oriented uh, to get involved with cryptocurrency. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science and you're not having to work directly with the blockchain or, you know, even even work directly with the the Bitcoin exchanges in order to, you know, do some payment stuff. Like there are some companies that just make it super easy um, where you don't even feel like you're using Bitcoin. And and that's really the best way that we've been able to introduce it to the, the farmers that we work with, because these are people in rural parts of the world with, you know, hardly an Internet connection you know, they might have heard of Bitcoin. And of course, if they did hear about it, it was probably something bad, you know, don't trust it, or the CEO is corrupt or something like that, you know. Um, But, you know, as long as I say, hey, you know, just look at your bank account, tell me how much money you you got in there. And they receive 100% of their money, and they're happy, you know, and they say, oh, what, you use Bitcoin to do that? Okay, that's fine. Whatever. We like Bitcoin. (laughs) Because, you know, it's just making things more efficient for them. And I think that as the Bitcoin community grows and as Bitcoin technology grows, it's going to be really important uh, for introducing it to laymen uh, to uh, make it easy and just really focus on showing the efficiencies and the security of of using, you know, your product. So 
Yeah, I, I recommend it for everybody to, to do some research and see, you know, if there are tools that could help bring some efficiency to your business. And for anyone who is interested in learning more about you and TLIT.com, what is the best way for someone to reach out to you? Yeah, so I can be reached at info at TLIT.com, I-N-F-O at TLIT.com. I love talking to Anybody and everybody about tea, about Bitcoin, about transparency, about international politics or whatever, whatever um, you have some ideas and would like to get in touch with me um, or, you know, you'd like to get involved in the tea business, I'd be more than happy to help. And of course, um, you know, our website is tealet.com and we are on all of the social media platforms, uh, including Reddit. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time today, Elise. I really appreciate it. And this was really an incredible perspective for us to to come at this with. I don't think I've ever had anyone um, who kind of has the unique experiences and, and perspective that you've had. So I really appreciate your time today. And we look forward to seeing the, the continued success of TLIT.com. Thank you very much. Have a beautiful day. Thanks, Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.